Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. It's good to see all of you this morning. Not, but it's good to be with you through the marvelous resources that we have these days. If we have to be shut up for days and, as it's turned out, weeks on end, at least we can still communicate these days, and for that we can be grateful. He never gets uh, mentioned, but I especially want to thank Harrison Keller, our uh, media guru who has made so much of this possible, and we're so grateful to God that he's with us and ministering here at KPC. Uh, Sometime if you're Communicating with KPC, give him a shout out and express your gratitude to all the hard work he's put in and never gets really the credit for it um, because he's always in the background and working there. So my thanks to you, Harrison. We are in Easter season, Easter as... Pastor Neil pointed out, is not a day, it's a season, seven weeks. The times that during which Jesus appeared to the disciples after he rose from the dead. And so I want to continue looking at the resurrection of Jesus and what it means as we look today at the meaning of of Easter. Now, Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Without the resurrection, his life is only a symbol of exaggerated claims, disappointed hopes, his fate, it's simply ironic and tragic. At best, A dead Jesus might be a monument to the sublime greatness of human aspirations and religious vision. It might also stand as an abiding indictment of the power-hungry paranoia of earthly leaders. At worst, however, the soaring theology and long history of Christianity would be a rather absurd epitaph for a do-gooder who got too big for his britches, a dreamer who ignored the grim realities of life and paid dearly for his mistake. Now, the Apostle Paul recognized this in his first letter to the church in Corinth there in chapter 15 when he protested, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. The whole systems of belief, concepts of the Trinity of God, The two natures of Christ, the uh, 
the incarnation, the redemption, the vicarious atonement, the resurrection, everlasting life. It's all predicated upon the resurrection of Jesus. No resurrection, no Christian religion. With the resurrection, though, everything appears in a new light. Jesus, his identity, who he is, what he claims for himself, what he demands of his listeners, his death, his reason for coming here, even the nature of the world, the destiny of the future, the value and the intent of human life, everything appears in a new light. But what new light? What does it really mean that Jesus not only died, truly, unmistakably, and utterly died, but also came back to life? What is the meaning of Easter? One. Paragraph 1. All four Gospels say that during his lifetime, Jesus warned his disciples about his approaching death and promised his resurrection. The Gospel of Mark, and following him closely, Matthew and Luke, say that he spoke of this three times, that the Son of Man, as Jesus customarily referred to himself, would be delivered into the hands of his enemies. He would be rejected by the authorities, mistreated and killed, and on the third day rise. Matthew's gospel adds a saying of Jesus that he has heard, namely, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster. So for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The Gospel of John, he prefers, as always, less direct and, we shall say, more symbolic sayings like, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's in chapter 3. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's in chapter 10. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains but a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's in chapter 12. And destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In chapter 2. Now those are oblique Sort of vague references for sure, but this is insider code for believers, and you get the idea. Now, modern skeptics dismiss the whole idea that Jesus could predict the future or had any idea of his approaching death. Now, it's true that historians have to reconstruct past events based upon known historical probabilities. You know, assuming that human thinking and motives and actions are consistent and repeatable. And since miracles 
and predictive prophecy are not frequent and certainly not repeatable on demand. You know, they fall by definition outside the bounds of historical science. I'll grant that. However, history is full of cases where significant and controversial leaders have clear premonitions of their approaching deaths. Mahatma Gandhi knew it was coming. Martin Luther King plainly preached just days before that he, like Moses, might glimpse the promised land from afar, but that he himself would not live to see it. To completely dismiss Jesus' premonitions of his death and his hope for a divine resurrection is not being scientific, just obstinate. So first of all, we find that the, the four Gospels agree that Jesus sensed that his time was coming and what that would entail, and, and his conviction that he would also be raised from the dead after three days. Secondly, the Gospels also agree the disciples had utterly no clue what he was talking about. Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus contradicts Jesus, I mean, when Peter contradicts Jesus, he gets reprimanded, and that after that, no one dared even ask any more questions. In John's gospel, the disciples, as always, just scratch their heads, wonder among themselves what on earth that meant. So this leads us, thirdly, to this conclusion. During his earthly ministry, Jesus repeatedly predicted his passion and his resurrection. But, except for vague hints and symbols, he never explained what it meant, and his disciples never asked. Paragraph 2. Easter Day begins in turmoil. There's skepticism, there's confusion. It is the third day, but no one is expecting anything out of the ordinary. The Gospels all attest that Mary of Magdala and a few of the other women hurry to the tomb at the first light with the spices and ointments to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. They find the stone pushed aside already. The body is gone. They have a vision of angels. And their reactions are described variously as perplexed or frightened or amazed or afraid. Mark's gospel says, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. Peter and John then run to the tomb, confirm what Mary had told them, but they don't know what to make of it. The other disciples hear the report of the women, and they just write it off as an idle tale. Won't believe them. When Jesus begins appearing to his disciples, Luke says they were startled 
and supposed they saw a spirit. They're troubled. Questionings arise in their hearts. They're frightened. Another early tradition that was later added to the end of the Gospel of Mark remembers how Jesus appeared and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Well, much deserved. You see, all of the Gospels admit that those who saw the risen Jesus were confused and shocked. Those who heard of it were doubtful or even scornful. No one knew what to make of it. They had no categories for classifying or explaining what was happening. That is, even as it unfolded before their eyes, they didn't know what was happening and they didn't know what it meant. Skeptics and scholars like to point to myths of seasonally dying and rising gods in the ancient Middle East, and they point to the idea of ceremonial rebirth in the mystery religions of Greece and Egypt in the Roman age. They assure us that the early Christians just borrowed the pagan imagery of others and projected it upon Jesus to invent the notion of his resurrection. But those skeptics, speaking as an historian, are wrong. If the disciples invented the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no shock and no disbelief. They wouldn't even think to tell it that way. If the culture of the first century Holy Land was so steeped in the idea of gods or men who die and rise again, there would be no shock and no disbelief. They would have an easy explanation near at hand, but they don't. Instead, the earliest attempts to make sense of Jesus' death and resurrection draw not upon pagan ideas of dying and rising gods, but they draw from the sacrifices of the law and a few psalms of deliverance. There is no widespread popular myth of dying and rising gods in the first century. With nothing to fall back on, the disciples are staggered by the fact of Jesus' reappearance and this is the important part, they have simply no framework for understanding what it means. Paragraph 3. Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears to the disciples, and he says... Here's one of the great mysteries of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, one, one might expect him to announce, oh, hey, guys, I'm back from the dead, and let me tell you all about it. You know, and then he could tell what he saw on the other side and what heaven is like or what the souls of the righteous do all day when they're not scheduled for, for worship at the throne. Um, this is the perfect chance for Jesus, or for the evangelists, 
to explain what his death and resurrection mean. Well, that's what I would have done. But it's not there. This fact was not lost on dozens and dozens of armchair historians and theologians, oh, starting just a little over a century after Jesus, after that first Easter. They composed heady treatises with names like the Gospel of Truth, the Secret Book of James, the Dialogue of the Savior, the Secret Book of John, I guess they didn't want to be outdone by James. There's the one with the wonderful title, The Thunder, Perfect Mind. I only wish the the book was as good as the title, but it's not. Most of these wannabe gospels are what we call resurrection discourses, which claim to offer what Jesus secretly taught this or that disciple, favorite disciple, of course, right after the resurrection. Jesus appears and he gives them the real scoop. They cover things like the wheres, the winds, the hows of creation, the origin of the soul, the power of the mind to save itself by knowing some particular truth, the complicated geography of heaven and the top secret passwords your soul will need to navigate it. I'm saying, really? This is the best you can do? Most embarrassing is how some scholars want to argue that these books are just as valid as the four Gospels we have. (laughs) Really? So-called lost books of the Bible were lost for good reason. They're fictional, they're tedious, they're trite, with none of the strength, the insight, the style of the historical Jesus or of authentic early tradition. But, hey, what can I say? I can't complain too much. You know, I doubt a gospel according to Benjamin would be much better. But the sheer quantity of these resurrection discourses is a mark of desperation. There's dozens and dozens of them. And it testifies to the simple fact that Jesus says very little to his disciples after the resurrection. He calls Mary by name. He reassures the shocked disciples, yes, yes, guys, it's really me. Pokes a little gentle fun at the headstrong skepticism of Thomas. He reminds them they should have seen it coming. I mean, after all, both the Scriptures and he himself had predicted it. In the earliest versions of the oldest gospel, Mark, Jesus is risen but he never even appears directly at all. The resurrection stories in the Gospels make two points. 
on the one hand, that Jesus is actually bodily raised from the dead. That is, the grave is empty, grave cloths folded, angels declare he's alive, disciples see him, touch him, watch him eat. And he speaks to them simply to reassure he really is the same Jesus. On the other hand, there is a new mission ahead. He says, tells them in one place, go and tell, or go and make disciples of all nations. You shall be witnesses, and I send you. This show, they show us that Jesus is really alive and what we should do about it, namely, tell somebody. But it is an odd fact that none of the resurrection stories shed light on why Jesus was raised from the dead. In the earliest Easter tradition that Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus was raised the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And Luke makes much of that, uh, such as when the risen Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, interpreted to them the things about himself in all the Scriptures. It's in Luke 24. Now this affirms the foreordination and purposeful necessity of the passion and resurrection. There was a reason. There was an intent. But it doesn't tell us what it was. Nothing about the effectiveness of the atonement. Nothing about the conquest of death, the triumph of life. You see, <clears throat> the Easter stories simply do not explain the meaning of Easter for you or for me. Paragraph 4. If you want to understand the meaning of Easter, you have to turn to the letters in the epistles. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, and then we'll jump on down to chapter 3, 1 through 4. There we read, <clears throat> when you were buried with him, in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And he continues, when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's jump to chapter 3. <clears throat> so, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When you were dead, I see from cradle to grave, you and I are dead. On our feet, we're dead to God, dead to what truly matters in life. We're self-centered. We stand guilty before the absolute standard of God's righteousness. And the crises in our society, <coughs> in our history, in our environment, uh, even pandemics, are merely symptoms of a basic underlying flaw in human nature. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. I mean, Jesus did nothing deserving death, but he willingly died the death that you and I deserved. If that had been the last of it, it would have been the bitterest tragedy of human history. But he continues, God made you alive together with him. You see, Jesus died in faith, trusting in his Father God to accept his sacrifice on your behalf and make it effectual for all eternity. And God the Father honored that faith and raised Jesus from the dead. Not only is sin atoned for, the sinner, that's you and I, acquitted, but guilt and condemnation are laid aside. The hostile powers of the universe are disarmed. You share in Christ's freedom, in his victory, and his new life. Death is overcome. Now all who put their trust in Jesus are given a share in this, his resurrection life. In this existence, it means you're dead to all that bound you, to all that held you down, that held you back, and alive to come all that God, become all that God has meant you to be. In the existence to come, it means you're raised with Christ, and your eternal life is hidden in God, being kept for you until God's plan is fulfilled. Resurrection of Jesus means, therefore, it means your life can be transformed, permeated with a new sense of freedom and exhilaration, so you really feel reborn into a new and different heightened quality of life right now. The resurrection of Jesus means that you, you are called to live responsibly before God as you act out in the workaday world this new and heavenly quality and excitement in life. The resurrection of, mean, of Jesus means finally that you will one day share in full measure that resurrection life of Christ, which right now 
So far you've only tasted. Though now that new vitality may still be hidden, that means fragmentary and elusive, Jesus has already paved the way for you from death into the full breadth and depth of unbounded life. Paragraph 5. Now, we may seem to have wandered far afield in search of the obvious. But what I find important and what I really want you to take home today is that we have to look not to the Gospels but to the letters to shed light on the meaning of Jesus' resurrection. You see, Easter is not interpreted by the prophetic predictions of Jesus, nor by the reactions of the disciples, nor by the words of the risen Jesus. The meaning of Jesus and the meaning of Easter is not just part of the story that you and I can hear along with the rest of it and then dismiss as an idle tale. The meaning of Jesus' resurrection is illuminated by the ongoing experiences of Christians, by you and me. We know that Jesus' resurrection makes a decisive difference, not because Jesus said so, but because the first witnesses to the resurrection, because Paul and the Colossians, because believers down through the ages to our present time have experienced a change in their thinking, in their feeling, in their living, in the whole purpose for, for being here. There's a heightened awareness of God's presence and a sense of, of newness, a new identity, a new purpose, a new power. You know what, Jesus, what Easter means because you know what has transpired in your life. You are the best proof of what Easter means. You see, after all, you and I are still writing the Easter story. Let's call it the ongoing adventures of the living Jesus to be continued. Let's pray. Living, risen Jesus, we are grateful that you are here with your people, with your beloved, both here in a near-empty church and at home in living rooms and studies and romper rooms and bedrooms all across this community and across this nation and around the world. That where we are, where we turn and call on your name, you are there because you live. And because you live, we shall live as well, both on this side of the grave and beyond. Teach us 
how to be witnesses to your resurrection and to live out the truth of Easter in ways that other people just can't miss it. And we ask this in the name of our Lord, our Christ, our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.